Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to the Samurai Brothers podcast. And uh, Matthew, this is episode 20. 20! of the podcast so you know kind of hard to believe that we've gotten uh this far so um a lot of podcasts don't make it this far but we have yeah yeah we have and you know we uh you know we we do this because we love doing it so that's why we we put in the time you know and uh i think we're able to do it like this format because it is a once a week format you know you've got people who put full-time effort into us into this so they're having to do you know episodes pretty much every day i think and then on top of that it's probably more than once a day too so you know for us you know we just like doing what we do you know talking japan and mma and wrestling and sumo and all sorts of other stuff yeah all you know just uh various things in general so that's what we do. So, anyway. Speaking of, speaking of which, um, so uh, Fresno Buddhist Temple had their um, Obon this weekend. I was contemplating going, but I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it this year. I've, I've been to I've been to stateside Obon festivals before, but yeah, I just I just wasn't feeling it this year. For those who don't know, Obon is essentially the Japanese Halloween in that it's honoring the ancestors. Or more like the Mexican Day of the Dead, I think. Yeah, that would be a better way of putting it. Yes. Except instead of skulls, you have lots and lots and lots of bright lights. Yep, that's true. Um, So anyway, Matthew... um... Yeah, we got a, quite a few things to talk about here. Um, obviously, we've got uh, we had a UFC uh, fight night, and um, I think it was to make sure I pull this up to make sure I have it right. But it was uh, Dos Anjos versus uh, Fiziev, and that took place at the Apex in Las Vegas. Yep, the so. UFC's home arena, which they were they ended up putting for good use during the pandemic. Yes, I'm very sure. That is uh, the advantage of an MMA promotion having a home arena because, you know, Bellator didn't have a home arena, so they ended up taking residence at the, um, uh, what was the, um, which Native American reservation? That They ended up taking... Oh, so yeah, re- they... Yeah, they ended up taking residence at, um, I forget... Why in the world am I drawing a blank on this Native American reservation? It's back east. It's in Massachusetts. Uncansville. I don't know. Either uh, way. Yeah, either, either way, it was, yeah, it was, it, they, they took up residence at a Native American reservation. Well, it's, well, it's like, you know, there wasn't anything going on there. So, the, so the reservation and, you know, Bellator have had a long working relationship. So they probably just thought, you know what? Well, uh, we'll give you a flat rate for X number of events as long as possible, and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll just have you guys uh, doing that there. But I think also maybe the fact that Showtime events were also, Showtime, Showbox events were also taking place there, so it wasn't just 
Bellator. It was more like uh, the Showtime channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we have that. And then um, I think also we um, the Nagoya Basho has started in sumo. So we'll be making sure to get in and, and uh, covering that uh, today, too. But um, uh, first thing. The, the what? Nishi. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the Yobidashi call because they yeah. call out to who's going to be stepping onto the, the dohyo. So, yeah, that's that's fun to do. Um, so, yeah, we got uh, we're going to be talking about uh, those uh, two events today. But uh, I think first, though, Matthew, before we get into those, um, there were a couple of Japanese figures who unfortunately met with tragedy. And so I think we need to make sure that we discuss about them and remember them for the impact that they had on um, Japan and also on in the world. So I'm going to go ahead and um, screen share. Um about this and uh let me see here make sure i can and uh oh here it is yeah this is what i'm going to screen share uh can you see the can you see the the screen and everything yep okay so um and this was this is quite a shocking event because i i found out about this late on thursday night um, because it happened um, Friday morning in Japan time. But uh, for those who don't know, uh, you had uh, Shinzo Abe, who was the former prime minister of uh, Japan, and he was tragically assassinated by gunshot wound uh, while he was on a campaign trail for, his, uh, for the Liberal Democratic Party uh, in Nara uh, Prefecture. And that was... Uh, you know, Abe was, uh, he was uh, quite a long-serving uh, figure because uh, he was, he's on record as having been the longest-serving prime minister in Japan. You know, sometimes uh, you get prime ministers, they don't even last, you know, up to a year in Japan, depending on the, on how political or, or you know, the social atmosphere is over there. Um, but one thing I do know was, you know, he was he was famous around the world. One for, uh, you know, his when when he became prime minister the second time was his inaction of, of policies and reforms uh, centered around what what they called uh, Abenomics, you know, designed toward trying to improve uh, things for Japan. And uh, he came into office the second time in 2012, which was which is what's typically that would be the second half of the uh, the Lehman Brothers shock uh, recession that started in 2008. And um, so he stayed in office until 2020. So that mean, meant that he worked with, you know, uh, you got President Obama, you got President Trump. And one thing that also came out of, you know, he was a... Uh, he was opposed to communism, so obviously he was he had a really big head to head with, you know, China. And uh, he was always a an outspoken ally of uh, the United States. So, you know, this this thing and and it was really yeah, whereas, weird. Whereas because, some prime ministers, just depending on their stance, may may have been a little bit more distant with 
the U.S. despite all the presence there and everything. Right, and um, it's really sad because this, and I'm I'm betting, you know, this, and, and this was a former G8 guy or self-defense force sailor who decided, you know, to take action and with a with a homemade shotgun to take out Abe. And um, oh yeah, that's another thing we should probably emphasize is the fact that the um, you know, the Japanese gun laws are ex- very strict. Very and strict. so if you're going to create your own gun, you're either going to get on the black market or you're going to cobble it together, which this guy did. Right. And, um, you know, and, and of all the things, you know, this guy thought that Abe was, you know, connected to some cult. And it's like, really? You know, I mean, what, what kind of, you know, I mean, honestly, for me, it has to be like, what kind of schizophrenia are you on? Well, we, well, the one guy who tried to assassinate um, uh, Reagan was under some delusion that he was in a relationship with Jodie Foster. And he thought, oh, I'm going to kill um, Reagan to impress her. And then it's like it happens and she went on record denouncing mm-hmm. him. And then he... so we have not. We have genuine nuts who who unfortunately take um, extreme action, unfortunately. So, so yes, um, I, I I try to look for because, and here here's the thing that bothered me was that you had um, I think I was I was looking at some other watching some other uh, YouTube's and stuff, and and um, you had some certain media outlets labeling. Abe as a as a far right extremist, but these are the same outlets that are going to paint, you know, Fidel Castro as a visionary leader or something like that. And my thought is, you know, just portray the man as he was. He was a leader. He was a he was a politician that was looking out for the best interest of his people that he was serving. And that's why we have that's that I think that's typically why we're having all this, you know polarized division today you know in in our our arenas of left versus right and all that that's why i get so sick of the of the politics that are being played here you know just report as it was my mind i don't know what you would think about that yeah you know just hey and and what what leader wouldn't want to be i mean he had what they call nationalist views, which is, you know, hey, he's looking out for the Japanese people. I mean, so why would he not have nationalist views? So, um, but yeah, he led, he was able to help lead them out of, of, of the recession at the time. And, you know, again, he was a, he was an ally of the U.S. So I think he, you got to give him the respect that he deserves in that case. So. Um, anyway, so he was campaigning in Nara, um, and uh, he was, you know, the attack happened at around 11.30, and then, you know, less than six hours later, he was uh, confirmed dead at Nara Medical University Hospital in Kashihara City, uh, Nara Prefecture. And um, so the person who carried out the attack was Tetsuya Yamagami, and um, he was a he was a 
former um, GA tie or self-defense force member. Uh, so he was a sailor. So, um, you know, and what I can appreciate about the, the Japanese politicians, no matter what side they were on, everyone, you know, rallied around Abe, you know, even with the, the slim chance, slim to none chance that he had of surviving, you know, they were all hoping that he would get better. Unfortunately, over here, you know, you got people that are just so nutty that they have no problem wishing um, death. Death upon somebody based right. off of. And again, that's that's why. Which, which you and I both agree, and I can say this with 100% certainty because I know you well enough. We would not, we don't wish death on anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, at least in terms of a political sense, in terms of political opponents, we don't wish death on anybody. Yeah, there's, so. there's a there's a finality to that, and it's just we we don't want we don't want that to for an, a political opponent. Oh. And unfortunately, just being in the on the online presence that I've been on, I've seen people literally wish death upon me, and I'm just not like as a threat, like they're saying that you know. They're gonna take me out. They're just they just like it's more like I wish you would die type stuff. And I'm just like, are you serious? How have we gotten to that point where people literally wish death on 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 someone else because of a political ideology? So that's why I gotta say, anybody who's who's gonna go out and do that, you got some mental problems. You need to go and get help. Seriously. Just like in that, in that, just like in the Michael Jordan ad where he's saying, "Stop it, get some help." I'll have to send you the link for that because hey, it's uh, it was oh, more because, geared that's towards because, the, that's become a meme on. Uh, yes, I'm, it has. The Michael Jordan meme. Yeah, and, and, yeah, I know. I, I've, I've, um, I follow something called I, I, I'm in the watchdog community of a group called the Sovereign Citizen Movement or the fir- and the First Auditor Movement which they're both very similar but basically they're they're cons- they're down they're just con- they're conspiracy theorists who actually live their lives like the conspiracy is real when in reality there's no legal standing for anything that these people are spouting and uh whenever these people are are when the watchdogs post these videos, they use that um, in order to to take care of fair use because, you know, the fair use policy says that if you're using it for commentary or political education, then you can, um, and you specifically cite something, then you could make a video off of that if you're doing commentary on it. So what they'll do is they'll intersplice stuff like that and that, stop it, get some help, <laughs> is uh- intersplice. Very often they're spliced. Well, you know what? And and here's the other thing is that um, he, has, he of, still hasn't. Yeah, he still hasn't wavered from that stance. Well, yeah, because it was it was an anti-drug ad. And, you know, even nowadays, um, you know, like the things are I mean, I've never been around it. I don't I don't know anybody who would be exposed to it. But, you know, you've got the 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 issue with the, the fentanyl crossing the border and apparently the fentanyl is so lethal and toxic that if you inhale fumes it's going to make you sick and so you've got police officers when they have to do like a raid or something or if they find someone who's becoming a victim of an overdose of um 
fentanyl, you know, they're going to get hospitalized and stuff too. So, um, kind of like how they say in the South, you know, the, you got the one South Park character is that drugs are bad. It's like they are. Mr. I don't remember. It's like I'm not. <laughs> I'm not into I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he's the counselor, right? Yes, the school counselor. Um, anyway, so yeah, so this is a very tragic um, event that happened. So I've uh, met people know. I've met people who use weed, but weed is you know, I see a lot of people saying that there should like it should either be categorized like it should they should do it like alcohol or something like that which you know in some states they do but it's like you know at least with weed it's weed it's it i don't know if you can overdose on it you could you can die from other problems yeah. related to it like a like a uh allergic uh, reaction see, you can be under the influence and it, and that's where it can be like alcohol if you're driving under the influence and, you know, you're in, you know, your perception of time and stuff can be slowed down. So then that means that you could get into a car accident if you're driving. Yeah. In, ter in terms of in terms of like the 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 use of it. You're not going to you're not going to overdose, it's, which is something you can actually overdose on alcohol, essentially. Right. But you you weed, you have to like smoke. You would have to like smoke who knows how much THC in order to actually overdose on it. So, but but yeah, like you said, you there you can die from other secondary um, effects. Yeah, other secondary effects from it, but it's and it does have medicinal uses. But yes, like, like with any, like with anything, it needs to be it's. It needs to be, you know, it needs, it needs to, be, to be regulated. I, I really think that it should be categorized as as a um a what's it called a um. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think, think it, it should be. I think it should be categorized as a prescription drug. It has yes. medical uses. That's been proven. You, ex well, yes. you extract it. You get the CBD, and you've got no problem there. So so well, I, I I've it, seen a I've seen a video where there was this this person who was afflicted with severe Parkinson's. And by using, you know, marijuana, he, the, the, the shaking all stopped and stuff. So I can see where if, if you know what you're doing, it's going to be, you know, a, a benefit for those who might need that help. But, you know, so. It That's needs to be supervised. It. it needs to be done correctly. Right. I don't think it should be available recreationally. It's just it's there's just too many problems that could go wrong with it. You it's like, you know, if I'm just going to say if I were ever to become president of the United States, don't know how likely that would be. But if I were to become president of the United States, I would strip tell Congress put put a bill that makes it a prescription a prescription drug and I'll sign it. Yeah. So anyway, um, that, that way, that way, it's like you need you need a prescription or, you know, I'm, I'm sure that like medical cards, because technically in California, it's only still only. Um, it's still only a medical use, so it's like it's like it's like a prescription, a medical card, something that says you're using it for for medical use. 
then they voted to legalize it here. It's a very it's it's just I um yeah like this was a prop some time ago that that the state of California voted to legalize marijuana for recreational use. I think it's only under a certain amount. I think that's what right. it is. You can't you can't have it if you if like for example if you still like the people who have like these giant fields or giant um mm-hmm. without having like um a, an actual license like the the medical right, right. license if you're if you're growing it like in giant fields you don't have the medical license that's over x amount and you could still be prosecuted for it so it, it's 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 not it's not an absolute thing. It's basically if you have like one blunt, then that's not considered. Um, right, you're not going to be prosecuted for it now. Yeah, they're not going to take you in or anything like that. Now, if now on federal land because federally it's still illegal, like you can't take it to a national park because that's federal land. You can't take it into a national building because that's federal land. You can't take it on a military base because that's federal land. You do that, you're going to get busted. Yeah, Very I. Simple. I I've I've read how, you know, there'd be some people like uh actually I've read where you had like I read how some Japanese people they'll go to a state where marijuana is legal and they like might smoke it and stuff like that and they go back to Japan and then they get like a blood test and then you know they find the THC in their system and then they get in big trouble. It's like, well, what were you thinking? You know, what are you thinking? Yeah, it's like you know it's illegal in Japan, regardless. It's just it's just straight up illegal. So anyway. Can it even grow out there? I don't know. I really don't know. I (laughs) um anyway, so yeah, you know, tragic event for that. So, you know, hope for prayers for of his family and um you know hopefully youngest uh, at age 52 to hold office since the end of world war ii yeah that was kind of interesting uh, on that so wasn't uh, abe the one who i don't know was it london or was it rio where he popped where they were doing that, that yeah he he was the one who popped up as mario yeah i think just goes to show he had a sense of humor yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, rest in peace to Shinzo Abe. And uh, another figure that we need to cover because uh, what he did had a profound effect on our lives as far as, you know, recreation goes. So, Matthew. And, still, get... and still kind of has an effect on me. It kind of still does. Yeah. Um, Yu Gi Oh! creator Kazuki Takahashi. Um, found deceased at age 60, floating off of the Japan coast. This is an article from Bounding in the Comics. And, uh, you know, just, um, I guess he was, he was vacationing in Okinawa and he was snorkeling and then um, something happened to him uh, because he had been renting a car and the car, you know, because he died, you know, so then the the car rental agency wasn't able to get a hold of him, you know, because, hey, he had their car. So they contacted the police and then they found him floating, you know, out kind of, you know, the ocean. 
and yeah, that's a that's a real you know, and uh, kind of similar to how the creator of uh, Crayon Shinchan, um, you know, he had gone hiking and then he slipped and fell and and uh, he passed away. But um, you know, in this case, you know, Kazuki Takahashi, um, real name Kazuo Takahashi. Um, yeah, he had a pen name. Yeah, that was his pen name. Um, found dead uh, around 10.30 a.m. on July 6th. And um, so they said that he was probably dead one to two days prior to his body being found. So just about, you know, the legacy that, you know, Takahashi left, you know, because this this created a not just a Japanese phenomenon, but a worldwide phenomenon, um, you know, comparable to how Pokemon was comparable to how, you know, other card games like Magic the Gathering and it was on a similar yeah, it's it's on a similar um and and the the card game the card game is is recognized as having produced the most cards and being sold by Guinness World Records. Well, yeah, because, like, um, Pokemon, the card game was a very specific thing, and you really had a lot more um, other stuff with regards to um, Pokemon. But, the you know, with regards to, like, merchandise and the, the video games, the anime, the, the various manga connected to it, all of that. But Yu-Gi-Oh!, the core thing was the card games. Oh, speaking of which, look what I got today. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ghosts from the Past. Second Haunting. So, um... So, for those like of you who don't... So, what? Is that a reprint? I, I, I think so. So, um, I haven't mentioned it on, on this, um, uh, um... I haven't mentioned, mentioned it on this channel, but I've been kind of getting back into it. And one of the things is I've been building a deck, but um, here in the uh, the Central Valley, there's not a whole lot in terms of uh, game collecting for, for specifically what I want to get, which was the old, you know, the old style decks. And I was actually going to see if I couldn't buy something online because I wanted either a Kaiba deck or a... Yugi deck, you know, something that was kind of connected right. to them, but I wasn't having, uh, I was having problems finding that stuff around here. There's no blue eyes. There's no black, uh, well, in the Japanese, it was called black magician. I'm pretty sure that the censors, yeah, uh, oh yeah, are we going to talk about how heavily censored? Well, you got to admit, some of the, some of the cards are a bit risque too, you know. Some of that stuff was a bit risque. I mean, yeah, you know. But one has to remember is that Japan, there's just stuff like violence and nudity is not considered inappropriate for younger kids. Well, they've been cracking down on that within the last 20 years or so. Oh, so like, oh, so since, since the first time we left. Yeah, when we went to Japan, I mean... I mean, because I think the one was, um, remember the last Sailor Moon episode that aired? And mom watched it first, and she was like, you guys ain't watching this, because she had We did watch, she did let us watch. Yeah, she did let us watch it. 
she she gave a very big parental warning. <laughs> yeah, she did. She well, she was straight up nude. Yeah, that's the thing, and and well, which was I not how... that was not in the manga. That was specifically for the Sailor Moon anime, which yeah, the, so the Sailor Moon anime, it it's 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 based off of the manga, but it's there's just a whole lot of differences. Well, okay, which is why I like Sailor Moon Crystal, anime? which is why I like Sailor Moon Crystal, the new the new Sailor Moon that just came that that's. Well, well, it's being produced. That's well, why that's, I like that. Well, see, here, here's the thing. Because the original Sailor Moon anime, the way it was going, you know, at first it, it, it started off as a, as a shoujo anime because that's what it was geared towards. But I think the producers of the anime at that time saw that it was steadily gaining a male audience and a, kind of an older male audience. So then they kind of started producing the anime to make it more geared towards that demographic. And um, I think Naoko Takeuchi didn't like the direction that it went. And I don't blame her because that's not what she intended it to be. So I think, well, that's yeah, she... the problem with signing away, like, a certain amount of rights as the creator for your adaption. It, you know, I'm gonna, you know, we've, we personally have talked about this. I've written a novel, and I started writing a nov a second novel, um, which I, I'm, I'm probably gonna go back to working on it, but I'm gonna tell you right now, if, um, if my novel ever made it big enough to get an adaption, I would make sure that I had a huge amount of creative control when it came to what was in there and what was not, because I wouldn't want to make sure that my adaption was not ruined well, by, by some, you know. Well, I, I thought about writing, you know, cause I've had some ideas for some novels and I think I've shared with you. It was, it was kind of like a fantasy type novel, but I probably wouldn't even, sign you know i probably wouldn't even sign it for a for a adaption because i don't want i don't want holly holly weird to butcher it you oh know, I, would, especially. I would say i would say you can adapt it but there's certain things that are not going to be that cannot be compromised and if you don't like that it's like i'm sure that if there was enough of the a demand and someone wanted it bad enough they would give in I, and i would straight i'll say Hey, that the integrity of this adaption is more important than any type of money I, that could possibly be made. And if you're not willing to accept those terms, then you don't deserve to, to adapt my vision. I would have, I would have, I would have caps on who could be cast, what direction they could do, what all. It's like, you know, um, what scenes could be cut, what scenes could be cut, what if you can add new characters, if you can't add new characters. I would specifically have all that written out in the contract. And I would want to be in charge of, like, I would want to be part of the production. I would want to be on set for certain scenes. Like, I, I, would just, I would just be like, these are my demands. Take it or leave it. Pure and simple. And if you don't like it, I'll, you know, someone else. It's like, it's, it's, it's like at that point, it wouldn't be about the money. It would be about the integrity of my work. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, uh, I think, although Cause, Takahashi, cause, 
Takahashi, I think, uh, you know, it didn't, because uh, you could tell that um, I think there was a lot of things, like I remember I would watch, sometimes I would I would get home from school early enough that I could actually watch the anime, like when we were in Japan, so I could watch like the new episodes and stuff. And um, I could see how uh, there was a lot of episodes that would delve from the from the actual um, the manga, because you remember reading the manga, right? I at one point had the whole collection, but um, when we moved uh, back stateside, you know, we couldn't take everything. So mm-hmm. my complete set of the manga was a casualty. The only manga that I had a complete set of, and I, it had to go, it was a victim of uh, our move back to Japan. Victim, but, victim of the times. Yeah, you know, and something else, um, I watched one of those, uh, I watched one of those, um, one of uh, one of the the um, Yu-Gi-Oh uh, commentary channels that that talked about it, and he talked about how um, at the end of Yu-Gi-Oh, Takahashi wrote a um, message about how he's ending Yu-Gi-Oh. So it's when I reread that, I was just like, you know what? There was a finality to it, and as far as I'm concerned, that's it. The man- the the manga is it. Right. It's it's because that was his original canon. Any other adaptions were done by other people. Right, exactly. His, you know, they'll, as, they'll credit as, him. You you could call it head my head canon. You could call it whatever uh, you want. But as far as I'm concerned, the original Yu-Gi-Oh manga was it. No dual yeah. monsters. Because <laughs> dual monsters had. Well, uh, yeah, you can tell how it's getting ridiculous. Because I haven't I haven't seen you know the other adaptions but i i might have seen like clips of it and I've stuff seen like snippets here and there it's like yeah you have Yu-Gi-Oh gx you have Yu-Gi-Oh 5g the the one the one i found hilarious was the was the one where they're dueling on motorcycles oh yeah speed dueling <laughs> is what, it, what it's called i think i mean you know just when you thought things couldn't get you know um you know more and I, I, I think they, I think they made some of the those those wrists. Um, I, I don't, I don't remember what you what they call the dual them. discs. They're called dual. Yeah, discs. the dual discs. They actually, Have you they, seen what those things go for nowadays? I don't, I don't think they manufacture them anymore. They go for like hundreds of dollars. Only hundreds of dollars. Oh well, you know how things are. Average, they go for hundreds Average. of dollars. Well, yeah, I'm not, and you know that, but I think I think you cannot actually. I don't think you can actually do a a a tournament legal duel with them. No, can yeah, you? no, you can't. You can't. Yeah, so you have to play it a specific way. Um, you know. If you're, you have to, if yeah, you have to have the map. There's five. There's five monster zones, five spell trap zones, one field zone. Um, the um, uh, the extra deck for the fusion and special summon monsters, and then you've got the um, you know, the the graveyard and the banishment uh, zone. You have to do it with a, with with that um, right. format. Which I right. which oh yeah that's that's something else I'd like to point out is that I've been um uh, I've been dueling with um with uh, master duels 
it's um on my phone which is is pretty fun um when Yu-Gi-Oh! duel links came out about seven years ago i started playing that but then once which they had the original characters but then once they started introducing the gx i, I kind of checked out so uh, yeah i uh, i never actually here's got into so here's an interest yeah so here's an interesting thing because mm-hmm. yugi and kaiba both had very uh like decks not built around their 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 top cars but built around their um but just with a specific um like strategy in mind i didn't realize that you can actually even with the current 60 card limit create a um uh dark magician or a blue eyes specifically themed deck all with monsters and and spell and trap cards specifically geared towards those in support of those monsters. Yeah, I think that's only built off of that. To this day, to this day, the blue eyes white dragon is is my favorite of the monsters. And I remember, I remember when we used to live in Japan, and you know, I would I would like go to the convenience stores and I would buy the Yu-Gi-Oh packs like. Remember when mom would take us to like die and stuff and we, you know, whenever we had like allowance day and something, we'd use that on the, on um, buying Pokemon packs. Yep. And then Yu-Gi-Oh started getting really big when I was in middle school. And, you know, after school, you know, I'd like go hang out at a friend's house stuff and we'd go over all the Yu-Gi-Oh cards that they had. And then I'd try to, you know, buy packs at the convenience stores and stuff too. And, um, I'm not sure if they they sell you you know convenience stores are selling Yu-Gi-Oh cards at you know more or less more likely you have to go to there's you know you have to go to some of the bigger more department store type places but I remember that you know I was able to find and that there used to be you know like they would talk about how there was a strategy for trying to find a pack that had a rare card or something because not all packs you know you, you buy a five pack for 150 yen but not all you know it wasn't guaranteed to have a rare card like if you remember when we would buy the pokemon cards a rare card was always guaranteed whether it was a normal rare card or a shiny rare card and of course that's before you've got like 15 different types of rare cards in pokemon now and and one of the cards i was able to find was a blue eyes white dragon and um it was actually like um it wasn't so much a foil as much as it was kind of a a rare type foil too so that was um yeah fun times you know something that i consider rather ironic um usually light and dark the usually in most adaptions of media just across the board whether it's like ancient myths or whether it's like the modern day adaptions the light is considered the good guys and the dark is considered the bad guys but in Yu-Gi-Oh it's ironically switched because Yami Yugi which literally trans- translates to dark Yugi is the protagonist and he uses the dark or black magician depending on what the translation as his main card whereas seto kaiba who is the and 
who at times, at times he was a straight up bad antagonist. It's uh, but he uses the you know he used the blue eyes, which in uh, in the the game is a light card. So it, it's it's the the the. The dynamics are are switched in that regard. Which, to be fair, if you want, if you look at read the manga, uh, Yuki had a dark sense of humor. Yes, in the, the early Yami episodes. Yugi, yes, Yami Yugi had a very dark sense of humor. Yeah, it wasn't until later that he started to kind of straighten out, and I think part of that was because his friends and Yugi Muto were right. kind of were um influencing him in that regard so anyway um to kind of close out about kazuki takahashi um konami and their official statement we are shocked and sad to hear the sudden passing of kazuki takahashi we are deeply grateful for the wonderful Yu-Gi-Oh universe that he has created our thoughts are with his friends and family at this difficult time Together with his countless fans, we pledge to carry on the Yu-Gi-Oh! legacy with all the love and care it deserves. And um, I think that's a pretty fitting statement for Konami to put out because, you know, I think without this game, Konami... That's one of their cash cows. Uh, yes, definitely. Because without, without Yu-Gi-Oh!, Konami would probably not be where they're at in terms of influence within the gaming community or, you know, the culture community. Uh, you know, I don't know if, um, you know, cause I don't, I don't really hear about much successful games outside of Japan. I mean, obviously you got, um, I don't know if you remember the game, uh, Metal Gear Solid. Um, I think when we used to live in Japan, I think one of our neighbors had the game, and I think you and I would try to play it. You know, it, it was the, it was kind of like. I think I was ever interested in playing Metal Gear Solid. It was just. Well, and you know, and then it's like spawned, I don't know, a franchise. Um, kind of surprised they haven't made a movie yet, but um, anyway, but. I heard one might be in the works. So, but um, I know the. Uh, one of the other games that it's really big in Japan. You can't play it outside of Japan because of um, regional restrictions. Uh, they do have a a really big mahjong game, mahjong game that's that's you know in Japan. So I know that's really which, big. Which because, in, which funny enough is uh, is actually a Chinese uh, um, game. Yeah. So actually, there's there's variations to mahjong. There's Chinese oh, oh, so, so funny thing, whenever I hear Mahjong, I hear I think about um, a line in the original Kung Fu Panda where um, where Poe's father, aka Jack Black's big pan, uh, panda, um, who's a goose, tells him, so you are going to take over the the um, the restaurant as it did from my father who. What for, who got it from his father? Who wanted from a friend in the game of mahjong? <laughs> yeah, so a so so a geese inherited it from a geese who inherited from a geese who wanted from a, a pig. 
it's it's really it's really it's like that's part of what made the Kung Fu Panda franchise really good is their sense of humor. But Jack Black was <laughs> Jack Black has enough of a sense of humor to where he can often make stuff like that work. So yeah, Mahjong. I know there's a Chinese variation. There's a South Korean variation. There's a and then there's the Japanese variation, which there's uh, a there's an episode of um, what's it called of uh, Midnight Diner that's uh, themed around Mahjong. And then there's like the American variation kind of works for some reason. It works similar to like kind of like a solitaire type thing. And basically you're just well, that's well. That's understandable considering that's how, you know, we're more familiar with solitaire than we are about. Now, now, I I have um, last year I used to go to a. um, I used to go to this Mahjong club and maybe sometime I might try to do it again, but um, it was. How uh, much money did you lose? No, they don't bet. You just pay. You just pay an entry. And then the the you know so that supports that club because they sell snacks they buy snacks and all that stuff too, so that we don't they don't gamble, you know, only only in Japan only in Japan and China and all that. Now if you did that here you get in trouble so they don't do that. Um, but uh, I actually won the last time I was there you know I think I'd gone there like four times and I won the what they usually do is they run like a tournament so you play a few rounds. And then depend on how much points you scored in each round determines if you're going to play for the, the championship round or if you're going to play for, you know, the next level down. I think the World Series of Poker works like that. Oh, okay. I think. I, I'm not certain. So, anyway. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah. I'd, I'd love to play with people and stuff, but I think just life is a bit too busy. And, um I know, that, you know, they normally... There, there's on the there's Yu-Gi-Oh! tournaments um, at this one gaming store um, in Hanford, and I've wanted to go, but like I said, when I bought my first um, number of packs, I realized these are not very powerful cards. I need something more than that. So hopefully I can... Uh, You'll get something out of that? Hopefully I can field a more competitive deck. Well, here's the thing. Um, this thing cost me twenty bucks. How many and packs are in there? Um, there are. Each box contains four five card packs for a total of twenty ultra rare. So this that's why this is so expensive. It's all ultra rare cards. So uh, how many cards are in there? 20. 20, and they're all ultra-rare cards? Yeah, so I, sp- I basically spent $1 a card. Yeah, that's like a premium. Uh, remember the premium packs in Japan? Yeah. I still got some. I got, still got some unopened ones. It's like, I'm a... I'm a... Try and sell, uh, you know... Just imagine if we tried to, if we if we kind of got this into being kind of a a, a um, trading trading cards, uh, you know, we could have a trading card session, you know, interacting with uh, with people. There, there's a um, there's a sports card shop by my house. 
and on Wednesdays and Saturdays, they 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 let they host um kind of like it's it's kind of a get togethers of other card collectors and people in the area who sell their own cards and stuff. So you'll see so all these. So people. it's like a little card swap meet. Yeah, exactly. And um and then I was last time I was in there, I was passing through and I see this one guy, he's he's got his phone, you know, on a on a little um stand and he's actually live streaming opening up all these cards, all these uh, that that's that particular card shop is geared more towards sports and stuff, so they have a lot of sports. Yeah, they they do sell some Pokemon cards. They they don't sell. I have not seen them sell Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, the one thing I know is that so you know baseball cards. Um, they they got oversaturated in like the the late eighties and the nineties. So oh yeah, I remember. I remember. I never was into buying them, but I remember getting them as gifts. Right. And like sometimes getting them in the in the boxes. So I've you know, I kept those cards just because my thought was, well, they might be valuable someday, but you know, no, yeah, but those those particular cards, you know, from the late 80s to the 90s, those particular decks, they're like somewhere between seven and eight hundred cards per set. And you know, because well, you, you gotta know, have all the MLB. Well, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh right? is um, Yu-Gi-Oh. I think, as it stands right now, has over ten thousand cards. Ten thousand different cards. Like so, Pokemon, right now is like I think they're at eight hundred Pokemon right now. Wow, only eight hundred. Only eight hundred. They're not even at the thousand mark yet. See, I do have some completed Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, what did they call those? Packs. Not starter. Expansion packs. I've completed some of those. And then I've completed some of the... Oh, booster packs. That's what they were called. Booster packs. I've completed some Yu-Gi-Oh booster packs. Japanese booster packs. And I've also completed some Pokemon booster packs. I'd be kind of curious to see how much those are worth. So maybe if I can, you know... I'll have to make a trip up there sometime. I'm yeah. gonna be honest. Some like my my I still have my Pokemon collection somewhere. Um, I'm but here's not, the thing. I'm not that that collection. I'm not gonna that. I'm gonna die with that collection. Here's my, a fun my, thing. my descendants, or you know, I I hope I eventually have descendants. Um, if not, then my heirs, they could do whatever they want with it. But I'm gonna keep. It's like some things to me are just so sentimental. I'm going to die in possession of that. After that. Well, here's the sad thing. Here's the sad thing about all those baseball packs from the 80s and 90s. Is that your Pokemon collections are probably worth more than a few of those sets combined. Because Well, so like you said, sat- they got oversaturated. Right. It got oversaturated. It's like some of those de- some of those sets... A set of like 800 cars is worth like five dollars. Five? Five dollars. 800 cars for five dollars? Five dollars. 
Well, like you said, they were oversaturated. They probably had like millions of those cards printed off. Yeah. Anyway. So, rest in peace, Kazuki Takahashi, and uh, thank you for uh, giving us Yu-Gi-Oh! That was your magnum opus. So, uh, yeah. So, Matthew, let's, you know, let's move. Yeah, I should, I don't know if I've talked about this. I know, I'll, I'll just mention this, and then we'll, um, uh, and then we can. What happened to Dos Anjos' nose? Or is it the lighting? It might be the lighting. It's got to be the lighting. I, I don't remember. Sure looks his, like the lighting. I don't remember his nose being that shape. So, what were you going to say? Um. The unique thing about Yu-Gi-Oh! is that it actually had two anime adaptions. The first one was based off of the first, I don't know how many um, yeah, chapters, before, but basically right. the gaming chapters. The one right. where it was a different game every week. Right. The second one was Duel Monsters, and it was... It was right. You know, once, once Kazuki realized what he had, once he realized what he had, then he kind of pivoted to that particular run. Which, to be fair, there were times interspliced um, where there were some where he would go back to the one game format. But it's like he always returned. And I think he really tried to see if he couldn't do the, the dungeon, uh, dungeon dice. Cause I, I, remember, I think I think they kind of did delve into that. Like they would make, like I remember that there were some video games in Japan made based on dungeon dice. Because I think he there did is one a pack. Of, I know they made at least one pack based off of dungeon dice. Yeah, I think he kind of did want to expand on that, but I think it was just the the dual monsters version just was too popular. To overshadow any other work, any other games that he probably wanted to produce. Well, and and to be fair, the um, it kind of did go into the mythology that eventually branched out because we eventually found out that you know it's you know um, Pegasus based the you know, the the character who created the games in universe um, who depending on the um, translation was either named Maximilian Pegasus or Pegasus J Crawford. I don't understand why they had to change his name. Maximilian Pegasus sounds pretty... That doesn't sound like a weird non-English um, name. Anyways, so he b created the game based off of Egyptian mythology. We find out that Yami Yugi is the actually the soul of an ancient pharaoh, and that during his time they actually did um, stuff similar to um, to to, to Yu-Gi-Oh. So uh, to uh, to the to the dual monsters um, format. So it ended up going full circle and playing into the whole Egyptian theme. Anyways. Yep. All right, so Matthew, USC Fight Night from uh, yesterday and uh, took place at 6 p.m. Pacific time at the UFC Apex in Las 
Vegas, which Nevada. which we mentioned off air. It was actually a very good thing that the um, UFC decided to invest in a home arena because most of the stateside fights took place at the um, the UFC Apex during the pandemic. So, uh, Dos Anjos versus uh, Fizia was the main event, but let's get into the prelims first. So, if I'm looking at this, there were five preliminaries, so uh, we'll make sure I'm that just going to tell you right now, these guys are all up-and-comers. Nothing yes, I don't, yeah, I don't recognize uh, anyone, obviously, because I've been out of the U- UFC scene. Well, so. you're not going to know these guys, because these guys are literally on their, they're not, they're not that many fights into their, their UFC contracts. These are, like, all recent signees. So, anything that really stood out to you about any of these? Uh, well, let's let's cover the no, first. No, not really, not that. really, not really. Okay. <laughs> it's, you you can try if you want, but I'm just gonna tell you right now, nothing nothing stood out. Okay, and then we've got the other. Except for Ant- no, no, no. You know what? I take that back. Antonina Shevchenko. Oh, and Courtney Casey. Um, Antonina is the older sister. Uh, Valentina. Yeah, I don't know why I put quotes, but she's the older sister of Valentina. But for some reason, despite being the same genetic, she's, if you looked at pictures next of them next to each other, um, they've got like, except for the fact that Antonina is taller, they've got similarly shredded bodies. But, so they're both these genetic athletic freaks, but for some reason, Antonina can't, and they've shown that they've got similar abilities, but for some reason, Antonina, despite winning this, can't seem to pull off a good enough winning streak. And yeah, to be perfectly this... honest, I don't think she'd want to face her sister anyways. Well, yeah, I mean, normally you would either go up or down a weight. I mean, that's pretty much how you would do it. And um, looking at the... Uh, well, yeah. Valentina fought at Bantamweight before they had a flyweight division for the longest time, and she gave um, Amanda Nunez two runs for her money twice, even, like, the alpha version of Amanda Nunez, who... The, yeah, the GOAT version of Amanda Nunez, who's going in there and finishing fighters and, you know, went up a division and defeated Cyborg, defeated Ronda Rousey. I, rem- it's like- I remember I remember when you and I, I think, I don't know if that was probably the last time you and I went together to go watch something, but yeah, the, she and that, that whole um, Buffalo Wild Wings went up and, you know, when she was taking out Cyborg like that. But yeah, you know, uh, it's a split decision. So they, she barely managed to convince the judges that she was the better fighter in that fight. You know, um, you know, in talking with some uh, people online about it, they're talking about how maybe just the fact that she's taller, how you know the the formula of her being the athletic, you know, um, she's just. It just doesn't work out because there's more there's more limb to grab mm. and there's more there's more limb to have to, you know, throw a punch or whatever. It is. Not to mention, she's not the grappler that Valentina is. That might also play into it. Valentina has a judo black belt. I think she actually won the Kyrgyzstani like judo national championship or something like that. So she's a well-rounded fighter. She um, current 
bantamweight champion Juliana Pena. She she uh she choked her she choked her out. She's won wins by armbar. She's won wins by submission. So she's a well-rounded fighter. It's just that her top base is her her stand-up because she was uh, a Muay Thai champion. Valentina just has the um doesn't have the same grappling base. So that might also play into it because she can't work on, on the ground the way same way that Valentina can. Okay, so uh, yeah, and uh, so let's go. I on think Treshawn Gore has been around for a while, but yeah, no, there's some of these guys they've been around for a while, but they're they're like either contender or gatekeeper status depending on where they are. So it looks like there was there was six. Five, Michael six. Johnson has been around for a while. I would I would actually describe him as a gatekeeper. Hmm. So. I don't, he he was he was one I forget which number he was, but he was part of that twenty nine and no of Khabib. Oh. <laughs> um so anyway, uh these first uh, think, two fights. Oh uh Jared Vandere and Chase Sherman, they're they're actually they've been around for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm in Zahavi and Ricky. I think have we seen Ricky Tercios fight? I'd like to say he's he's been around for a little bit too, but again, he hasn't really accomplished anything. The one thing to remember about the fight nights they're they're basically they're basically for guys to get um uh you get know, some fights in. Yeah, they're basically for guys to get some fights in. You know, during the during ye olden days, it would be the the UFC undercards where they'd get their fights in, or there was just more of a regional. Uh, circuit, but you know, um, with you know, in the UFC now, the 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 fight nights are for them. The fight nights, the a- UFC on ABC. Was there was the UFC on ABC? Um, I forget when recently. Um, UFC on ESPN. So just the second, the secondary um, events. They're there to get fight for fighters to get. Um, experience in and the so and then just depending on who it is a veteran might might head the main event who's trying to build back up to maybe a title shot or something okay so let's get into the second half of the the main some car. are more exciting than others but this one oh saeed Nurmagomedov, he's yeah i remember he's Khabib's brother uh, no no he's not his brother is he I'd like to say his cousin. I think he's his cousin. And then I think I remember Douglas Silva de Andrade. Yeah, he's been around for a while, too. And then I, I think, do. I, I think, think he's from Shuto. I think I might have heard of Kyle Barallo. And then I I remember Armand Petrosian. Yeah, he, he's he's been around, too. Yeah. So anyway, was there any, any anything of note to you in, in this... Um, in this fight, or in these fights, mm, not really. It's kind of it just went, huh? It just went. I love the the this, uh, this, this, even though there were finishes on this fight card, it's there. There was nothing extremely spectacular nothing about impressive. it. Impressive, but uh, yeah. So it looks like uh, Rafael Viziev. He's he now he's actually on on the the uptick. He's. 
a contender. He's he's going up there, and you know, uh, Rafael dos Anjos is a former lightweight champion, so um, he's trying to build himself back up too. And of course, uh, the light yeah, the and- light the lightweight title's vacant. So, you know, all the lightweights are trying to make a a, a case that they should get a, the shot at the the, the open. shot at the title. Yeah, the, the uh, yeah, I guess title. This, I guess this hurts Dos Anjos case for it now because yeah. he got I mean, well, how close was the fight in terms of cuz it's a you know, an 18 18 seconds into the 5th round if I'm reading this. There were where Dos Anjos was looking like the the Dos Anjos that made it to the title, but then you know you see he got he he lost in the at the beginning of the fifth round. So okay, so Matthew, what's what's the next um, UFC event that um, I believe likely to be seeing? Now is is that the one that I think the next one is probably going to be the the UFC on ABC. Okay, well, let's see here. That is something that it was nice to see. Um, oh, oh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. This is, so... Uh, Brian Ortega, Yair Rodriguez. These guys are, I think they both challenge. Did Rodriguez challenge for a title? Tour? Ortega has twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, i trying to remember for it. Rodriguez has challenged for the title. Okay. So it should be interesting. Yeah, this 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 um uh of note Rodriguez had a knockout, I forget which year it was, 2018, 2019? Mm-hmm. He had a knockout of the year when he went against the Korean zombie mm. and did this the Korean zombie was winning that fight. Yair did this like uber impressive, like spinning back elbow. It's like he had to he had to do this like sideways vertical and caught the chin and you know uh, Sung Jung just collapses so this hmm. this guy um I'm still trying to remember if he challenged for the title or not um if he hasn't he's gonna he will at some point in his career bar like a significant injury okay so yeah that's gonna be this coming Saturday. Ah, Curtis uh, Blades. Curtis Razor Blades versus. Oh, no, wait. oh that's that's uh, that's. Um... That's going to be the following. That's, yeah, that's the following. Well, let's let's look at that. Uh, let's look at that. Uh, that fight card, the the um, the Ortega Rodriguez fight card. Okay, so. Oh, ha, ha, ha. The Karate Hati Michelle Watterson versus Amanda Limos, who is up on the rise. Okay. Hard and to the... tell who's going to be fighting Carla Esparza for her first defense, but that definitely has title implications. Okay. Lee, Lee Jian Lee, Mohamed Sokolov. Uh, those guys are up and comers. Uh, match now. Sumo Derji. Mongolian? I'm trying to remember if there's a Mongolian. Yeah, I think he's Mongolian, I'd like to say. Oh, okay. Well, that would make sense. 
And then Shane Burgos, Charles Jor Jordan. 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 And then Lauren Murphy and Misha Tate. Now that's interesting because I know she had a kid a while ago. But somehow she's back Two. in the UFC. Oh. Two. Lauren Murphy's a mother as well, but her kid's like grown. Well, not not grown, but like a teen. Mm. Okay, so Misha Tate's still around, huh? She well, what happened was she came out of retirement. And she's been doing decent. I'm wondering if the winner of this oh wait a minute, Murphy just fought Valentina. So I don't I would like to say if Tate wins, she might have Yeah, just I'm depending noticing, on things, she might get a shot. So I'm noticing, yeah, that Tate's fighting a flyweight uh bout. I think this I can't remember if she ever she never fought a flyweight in the UFC because at the time there was not a flyweight division. But I'm trying to remember she fought a flyweight before the UFC. There wasn't a flyweight division in Strike Force. So it didn't happen there. It had to have been before the UFC. If she ever did fight flyweight. Okay, so that that would have been her preferred weight and but all she had all she could do is bantam weight, but unfortunately for her, Rousey stood in the way until Tate had her shot at um Holly at Holly. So and then yeah, of course, with her with her last second like shoot for the bleachers like desperation takedown. Holly had been dominating that fight. She'd been keeping Misha at the distance, stopped her from doing the the takedowns. Hadn't gotten the opportunity to. Uh, she, if Ronda had actually properly played her game and used her grappling to her advantage instead of trying to do the idiotic Edmund Tarverdian strategy of trying to, to box with a world champion boxer, then it probably would have looked a little bit more competitive where she's trying to go in there. She's trying to utilize her grappling against a, a kickboxer. But instead, Ronda does the stupid Edmund Tarverdian striking because she knocks out a subpar striker and she gets knocked down in the second round by a kickboxer. These, these idiots. I don't know how Edmund Tarverdian got the credit that he did. <laughs> the guy was never a good coach. Oh, gosh. And then Misha does what Ronda should have done, tried to go for the striking. It was kept competitive, but she just wasn't able to get in. And then she goes for one desperation takedown, and I think it was like halfway through the fifth. She was going to lose. It was halfway through the fifth. She goes in for a desperate last-minute takedown, is able to somehow get her down, and then sinks in the rear naked choke. Holly f refuses to tap and just does th this before her arts go. <laughs> Technical submission. M Misha Tate wins the title. So, uh, anything and then loses to man, uh, and then a loses yeah, to Amanda yeah. Nunez at UFC 200. Yeah. Um, anything a note on these on these prelims? Uh, first Let's see, Ricky Simone. He's been around for a while. Is he in his thirties? I guess you would count as a veteran. I hate to call him a gatekeeper because I never really saw him as that, but that's essentially what he is. I have no idea who those two middleweights are. Okay. 
I'd like to say Billy Carantillo I've heard of. I haven't heard of Bill Ogio. Dustin Jacoby, I'd like to say I've heard of him. That I think Jong, he's probably yeah. Korean. Uh I don't probably not related to Korean Sabi zombie Chan Sung Jung because Jung is about as common as Smith in terms of percentages. And then we've got a couple Dwight of... Dwight uh, Grant I have heard of. Who? Dwight Grant I have heard of, but he's okay. not, doesn't quite stick out. No, that's not the same Burns. Yeah, he he's, yeah, he's not Herbert Burns. I don't think he's related to Gilbert Burns. Okay. There's there's the Burns brothers in mm-hmm. the UFC, but I I don't. It's probably one of those things where the um the what's it called the uh they're, they they've got the same name, but uh he, uh, he how, he's probably he's probably Brazilian, so it's probably it's a, probably a Portuguese name, but it's you know, and so, that. I'm just going to call him an Eastern European. I have no idea who that is. Phil Rowe, the name sounds familiar. I have no idea if this Nurmagomedov is related to Khabib. Uh, and then I Ab- remember... Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov. And I remember Jessica Penn. Penne. Penne. I've met her before. Oh, really? Yeah, she's one of the few women who's actually my height. Oh. In the world of MMA. Well, because it's th- those the women. It's like those women are they're cut, they're cutting weight. Yeah, they're tall and they're cutting weight. Mm. Emily Ducati. Is this her first fight out of Invicta? I gotta I gotta figure these are probably first timers if if they don't have official um, pictures. Emily Ducati. She's she's gonna be a first time UFC fighter, but Emily Ducati. I'm pretty sure has been cutting her teeth in Invicta. Hmm. Like so many women before. I think I think she's cutting her she's this is her UFC debut and it's going to be it's the first one out of Invicta. All right. Have so. we talked about uh have we talked about what one championship is doing? Uh no, enlighten me. Earlier this year they signed a uh a broadcast deal with um Amazon. This hmm. is the first exclusive MMA deal on Amazon. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the eventual goal is to bring one championship stateside. That'd be interesting, too. It would be interesting, but here's the thing. They're going to have the same problems that Pride did when they came stateside. Unified rules. No, no, yeah, so no stomps, no no knees to the head of a grounded opponent, no kicks to the head of a grounded opponent. You can do elbows, which they can do in one championship, but. Hmm. And drug testing, which I don't know if uh, one does drug testing. Speaking of which, one of the most sketchy things I ever heard of and there was a lot of sketchy stuff that happened in Pride. One right. of the sketchy most sketchy things I've ever heard of fighter Ensign Inoue actually he appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast ages ago 
and he actually provided a copy of his pride contract. It said no drug testing whatsoever. So these guys were probably hopped up on who knows what. Well, some of those guys did look a bit buff. I remember some of those guys. Hey, uh... well, well, the Smashing Machine documentary, they, they showed that um, Mark Kerr was shooting up um, Roy's up the yin-yang. Okay, well, that's... But, um... So, so, but, yeah, so, the, but, um... So, yeah, that's, that's the, the goal with one championship. Which, to be fair, one championship did actually have uh, a deal on TNT, but they only broadcast three events. But to be fair, the fights on those events just, it was one of those sad things where, you know, you had all this promise, but a lot of the fights on those events were duds. Hmm. It happens, though they did, we, uh, we did get to see Mighty Mouse on there. That's true. Get knocked out in the second round versus, like I said, one of those kicks to the to the head of a grounded opponent. No, it was a knee to the head of a grounded opponent. Uh-huh. I really would like to see... I'm going to be honest. I really would like to see those instituted stateside. Like, m- like, you know, some people have said, no, there shouldn't be. But I'm just like, I'd like to see some of the stuff. So, uh, Matthew, let's close out with... Uh... Day one of a sumo, and uh, it's in Nagoya, and um, so I thought uh, so. Uh, Kintamayama, uh, you know, he puts videos together and uh, just to see uh, what he has, and uh, I just thought we'd kind of go over really quick the last five matches of day one with the Sekiwake and the Ozeki and the Yokozuna. So, uh, you know, Tenno Fuji won the Basho last time with a 12 and 3 record. So the 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 quality, the level of of sumo last Basho is a bit low. And as you're probably aware, you know, with without Hakuho, it's kind of anyone's it's anyone's, anyone's game. Anyone's game now, even with Tenno Fuji, and uh, you know, like we know. He's not healthy, and uh, he's kind of the in-between guy before, you know, there's going to be that next generation. Next generation, you know, the next. It would be nice if he won one Basho as a Yokozuna. Who? Tenno no Fuji. He's won three. Oh, okay. I think. Is that right? Yes, he's won three. You show as Yokozuna, so he's he's got it, and um, his total is seven right now, as a whole. So he he's he's got it. It's just that you know he he doesn't have long because of his knee problems and other health problems, and uh, yeah, it know, was nice to see him get to the top. It's just a matter of how much he can capitalize on that. Yeah, uh, you he's know, Mongolian too, right? 
He's Mongolian, yes. Yeah, so it's just a matter. Of, well, let's see. Hakuho is staying because he's forming his own Beya. It's like, what, what would Tenno Fuji do? So would he stay or go back to Mongolia? Well, he he got he. Um, I think as soon as he got to, I think as soon as he either. Um, there was some point where he, I think when he got back into the salaried ranks, he did apply for Japanese citizenship. You know, he'd been there long enough to be able to do that. And I think he recently required it, uh, acquired it. So that means that he's eligible. Now, now, to stay. now remind me, what are the, what are the, um, requirements for Japanese citizenship? Because technically if you're on sumo, you're, um, you're on a work visa? Yes. I think technically you'd be on a work visa because you're earning so money. Japan, so under Japanese immigration law, can you apply for... Um, Wait. Do you you, is, to, is there such thing as, as residency? Yes, the green card. The, yeah, there's, the, like so the there's green a green card. card. So but they, here's the catch. You have to have lived in Japan consecutively for 10 years. And you have to be earning a decent income. Okay, well, well, if you're if you're in the salaried rank, ooh. If you're in the salaried ranks, then, you know, you're earning a decent income. And um, Oh, you know, but getting but getting a uh... So the the difficult thing is getting a stock/kabu to stay in the Kyokai if you want to be in there. In order to be a Kabu owner in the Kyokai, you do have to have Japanese citizenship, which is why any of the foreigners, which, you know, you had Akebono, Konishiki, Masashimaru, and now Hakuho, uh, Kakuryu was another Yokozuna, um, and now Tenno Fuji, and um, a couple other foreigners too, like Kota Oshu is also in the Kyokai, Kyokutenho, who was the, he fought the most matches in the, the top division. He was from Mongolia and he was viewed as a, kind of like as a mentor to Hakuho uh, also. Um, you know, I thought Hakuho's um, uh, mentor was the previous record holder. Well, he, he looked to him as a mentor also, but Kyokutenho was like the, you know, well, Okay, I don't know if you call him a mentor or not, but someone that he looked up to and respected. That'd be a good way to put it out, because Kyokutenho fought until he was like 41 or something like that. So he, he was, you know, not a lot of sumo wrestlers in the salaried ranks reach 40. We know that. Yeah, because it, it's a, well, it you have to be X amount of weight and... Mm-hmm. Sumo, sumo is a is a sumo is one of those sports that's definitely well. Let's face it, most the majority of sports, the majority of just normal sports that are like uh, at a national level or or something like that that makes money or whatever it is, you're not typically going to reach forty. Like the LeBrons, the Michael Jordan. The Kobe's, the Tom Brady's, the Randy Couture's, 
Name any athlete who was in their 40s and actually competitive. They're exceptions to the rule. Most of the time, if you are an athlete, you'll be lucky if you make it into your 30s. Well, because the red, you know, you you are putting a lot of strain on your body. So the risk of injury is going to be there no matter which sport you're playing. Like Michael Phelps didn't even make it to his 40s. Yeah, I think when when he did that one medal run where he won like what? What was it? Like how many medals did he win that one time? I mean, he completely dominated. Are you talking about total or you're talking about the time when he made the eight in one Olympics? Yeah, it was the eight. The eight medals in one one the eight Olympics. gold medals. The eight gold medals in one Olympics. Right. I mean, did he compete after that? He competed in while like one or two Olympics after that. He holds the top, the he holds the record for the most cumulative medals, and most of those are gold. Yeah. You don't get a lot, you don't get a lot of that. I mean, it's it's hard to win a goal when one gold, let alone eight. Well, and let's remember the, the previous uh, holder of total medals, not Mark Spitz. Throw Mark Spitz out because it was just he just had the one Olympic um uh record. Um the previous holder for the most Olympic medals was a Soviet woman's gymnast, and that was back when women's gymnastics was more about um dance competition and art 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 artistry, not where it is nowadays where you're like doing the intense pole vaults, you're doing the intense, like it's all in- intense events. Yeah, gymnastics is really, the routines that they do and all has evolved so much, even from, if you look at Olympic, you know, gymnastic ev- gymnastics events from the like 80s and stuff like that. It just evolved, it's, it evolved so much. Well, let, let's throw another example out there. Tiger Woods. Golf is a pretty low-impact sport. How far did, like, how old was Tiger when he, he retired? Well, because he's in his 40s or something like that, right? Or is he in his 50s? He, yeah, and, and, he, and he even had... Like, he even had several uh, injuries. Yeah, he's had injuries. Before that, oh, before that major car accident. The reason why he's not full-time anymore is because of that major car accident. Which we won't get into what led to that. That's a whole nother can of worms that we're, we don't even care about. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. You know, it's... it's um, the if most controversial really made- we got into was talking about the, the, you know, the Japanese political scene today. Let's not, yeah, let's not get into controversial any more than we have to today. Yeah, but yeah, if you have a really bad injury, it's going to be hard to come back and, and compete in the top form that you were. But, but yeah, so so going back to it, like I said, the most, any competitive sport, you're not typically going to see athletes in, um, you're not you're typically not going to see athletes in their in their 40s. It's rare to see them in their 30s. So it's it's just yeah, that's just that's just how it is. Cuz so, 
you t- regardless of the sport. It's just it's just high impact. Like uh, I think the what I think the gal who had the most Olympic appearances is actually a skeet shooter. Mm. So technically, that's an Olympic sport, but you're literally just shooting a gun. Yeah. There's not a whole lot that's. Um, Let's be honest, there's not a whole lot physically exerting about holding a gun and shooting at a, a flying disc. So let's uh, just really quick, uh, just kind of go over the last six matches of the day and then Matthew, get your opinion about this. So um, go ahead and start this off then. So we have Sekiwake Daisho versus Tamawashi, who is the, the current Iron Man of Sumo. He's competed in over... 1300 uninterrupted matches in his career so he has not been in he's kept himself relatively injury free throughout the entirety of his uh close to 20 year i think eight he's been wrestling for 18 years now so let's see uh who holds the record um tell me afterwards yeah all right so you got daye show uh, one of the top six uh, wrestlers goes down. Um, so, okay, now now tell me, who holds the record? Okay, so I think the record, I have to go back and look at it, but I believe it was Oshio had the record for most appearances. And then there was another wrestler who had um, most consecutive appearances. And that person, when he retired, had also not missed. Um, I think the record for most consecutive bouts fought is something like 1,600. 1,630, I think. So he's, you said he's at 1,200? He's currently, I believe, at thir- uh, over 1,300 consecutive matches. So in theory, how many more Basha would he have to do in order to... to- break that record to get to to get to the the consecutive bouts record yeah he would have to get well theoretically it's probably slightly less than 300 but let's just go off 300 that's 20 basho which is another three years at this point I don't know. Can he make it? Well, he's been able to hold his, his own in the joy gene, which, as you know, is kind of more the top top 25% of the division, I guess. Actually, no. I, I take that back. More like the top half of the division. So he's been a present mainstay in the top in the top half of the top division. He's not fallen down to... The second division in, I think, over five years. So he's been consistently in the top. And I think even if he's fallen down low, I think the lowest I've seen him get is, you know, probably around M10 or something. Okay, well, we'll see if he can do it. So Wakataka Kage and Ichinoja. Wakataka Kage is kind of the the hot topic right now because he won the U show in March 
Try to, try to say that name five times fast. Well, you've got Wakataka Kage. Yes, tongue twister right there. And he's actually the youngest of three brothers in sumo right now. Oh. Wakataka Kage, and he's the most successful because he's at Sekiwake, which is the third highest rank in sumo. And then you've got, and then he's won a U show. So you've got that. Um, and then he's up against the the brick wall Ichinojo, who weighs like 500 and some odd pounds. And uh, we'll see. Nowhere near they... the record. Yep. So let's see how they do here. So Ichinojo gets in on the Mwashi. So does Wakataka Kage, but. Uh... So it's looking like just Ichinojo just had him. So, so that means that the two Sekiwake have fallen uh, down now. So not off to a good start for the upper Sanyaku. So now we've got Koronawaka, who's the son of... Uh, this is Koronawaka the Younger, who's son of Koronawaka the Elder. And um, he's also the grandson of Yokozuna Kotozakura, uh, who was the Yokozuna um, back when. Um, he was kind of a transitionary Yokozuna, I believe, also. And, um, and then you've got Karobon. Yeah, Karobon Ozeki Shodai. So um, that means that he had a losing record last Basho. If he doesn't win, if he doesn't get a winning record this Basho, he's going to be demoted to Sekiwake. Sekiwake. And um, yes, that's not good. And Shodai has never beaten Koronawaka. So we'll see how this goes here. And uh, so. And beat him this time. Not a good start for Shodai. So he could be in some serious trouble. Okay, so we've got uh, the other Karabano, Zeki Mitakeumi, who just got promoted in his first Basha was in March. He had a pretty good showing there, 11 and 4, but then he went 6 and 9 last Basho. And apparently he was injured in that Basho, but he decided to go the whole way, and he's got the unfortunate losing record to prove it, so he needs to get a winning record too. Up against Takanosho, who is the third Ozeki Takakesho's stable mate. It looks like they have an equal record here. Uh, so, uh, as uh, Kintamayama notes, there was no monoi, which is, you know, when the, the judges confer and... Um, In my opinion, it probably should have been a Torinaoshi, which is a redo. Um, but so they gave that to Mitakeumi. Uh, I would agree. It didn't look like... Uh, I, I, I don't think the Gyoji... Well, the judges didn't, didn't call a conference, so they just let it go. You know, what are you going to do? So you've got Takakesho, who is the highest-ranked Ozeki... And he only managed an 8-7 and seven last Basho to prevent all three Ozeki from being Karoban. And he's up against Kiribayama, who he's got a 
somewhat strong record against seven and three. So let's see how they do here. And as you know, Takakesho is more of a pusher type. Um, but Kiribayama gets inside and forces Takakesho out. And um, as Kintamayama notes, the Ozeki continued to be pathetic. Um, so I know a lot of people like to describe Takakesho as a one-trick pony because that's all he basically does. He just tries and push you know, his opponents away. If he sees a, a, you know, a, if he sees an opportunity, he might slap them down or something, but mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. So, you know, there's people who figure that if they can get inside and get on his belt, he's not going to have a chance of, you know, of winning. So that means two Ozeki are down, both Sekiwaki are down. Only one Ozeki has barely won so far. So, Defending champion Tedano Fuji versus Abi, and they haven't gone against each other a lot because Tedano Fuji was down in, you know, that's when he was down in the, uh, you know, the lower ranks trying to come back. So he's got a two and run record against Abi so far. So let's see how this one goes. Okay, so, so Abi is a thruster. And um, but he managed a last minute throw, but um, so oh, Tetsuno Fuji is not doing well. I think right here, right, right there, where he went on that left leg. If you kind of go, let me let me just kind of go back a little. I kind of saw he had a kind of uh, yeah he had that kind of right place. there where he really slams on his left leg. I think that really. I think that hurt him because if you notice, he goes off the dohyo and then he was kind of limping a couple of times. He was having to put weight on his right leg. But I think he did something to his um, to his left leg. So um, anyway, but uh, credit to Kintamayama, uh, Moti. Thank you as always for um, uh, putting these videos together. Uh, you know. We all love you for that. Uh, I think um uh, I think uh I think Tedano Fuji is probably at a point similar to um uh, um Hakuho where he's uh probably should consider hanging it up. Well, it was it was obvious from the beginning Tedano Fuji was not going to have a lot of time. But he is the most dominant wrestler right now in sumo, which is why he's the Yokozuna. And at this point, he's just trying to see how far he can go. And, you know, I think the Kyokai and the YDC are a lot more accommodating to him probably than they are against, you know, than they were with Hakuho a bit because of Hakuho's, you know, more conduct towards the latter half of his, his transgressions yeah yeah you know unfortunately but you know Tenno fuji you know hey if he's got to sit out this basho then he's got to he's got to sit out the rest of it because you know if he's hurt himself then he should do what's necessary and you know 
withdraw. We'll see what if that happens or not. I mean, I don't know if he should like hang on until they find like another Yokozuna. I mean, it's, well, I've, I've, have we talked about the Ozeki picture? Like, is anyone even at I mean, the point? The way, where the way things are, none of those. I mean, the the three Ozeki right now are well. I mean, if Mitakiyumi were an injured, maybe he might have a chance, in my opinion. But he's never been he's never been Yokozuna material. Now, people are saying, hey, maybe Takakesho. Takakesho probably is the best out of the current three Ozeki. But when he gets hurt, he gets hurt. And he's also easily susceptible to injuries, too. Which is why he can't really make a strong move. So it's unfortunate that you know we've got this scene right now where you've got one Yokozuna who we know he'll probably be lucky to last to the end of next year. You got three Ozeki who are clueless about what they want to do, if they're really motivated or not. And you've got the the current crop that's below that is there's just no not one that's really stepping up or standing out to be a candidate. Now, they're saying that, you know, the Asanoyama who was, you know, demoted, suspended because of, you know, violating COVID protocol and lying to to the NSK about it, he's coming back this Basho. In fact, he's fighting on day two. And they're saying he probably still has a chance to be Ozeki or even Yokozuna, but that's still, you know, at least another year away at this point because he got demoted. He got demoted all the way down to the fourth division. So that means even if he were to, let's say he goes seven and zero. Yeah, let's say he goes seven and zero and he wins the Sandanme Championship. He'll probably be promoted to Upper Makusta, but not within the promotion zone. And the promotion zone, if if you don't know what the promotion zone is, the top 15 ranks of Makusta, so Makusta 1 through 15, if you go 7-0, if you go 7-0 from Makusta 1 to 15, it's an automatic promotion to the second Jurio division. So even if you were to win the the Sandanme, which is the fourth division, uh, you know, the title, the Yusho in that division, he's probably not going to be in the promotion zone in September. So he'll still have to fight there, and then he'll probably do good enough to get into the promotion zone. And then from there, it's another fight because the promotion zone is where it gets really um, log jammed because everyone's fighting to get into the second division. So even if he were to really speed things up, he's not going to, he's going to be, by this time next year, he's probably going to be lucky to be in the top division. So we'll see. We'll see how things are gonna go. We're basically in a transitionary time when, like, yeah, you're just coming off of the that. era of Hakuho, and you've basically got the young bucks who are trying to 
prove themselves worthy of being. Well, and you know that happened. That happened. You know, post Chiono Fuji, you had a couple of Yoko. You, you had a couple of Yokozuna, but they ended up retiring not long after Chiono Fuji did. And you you had a period of about I think a year and a half to two years where there were no Yokozuna. And it wasn't until Akebono was promoted that we finally had a Yokozuna. And then, of course, you had Takanohana come. Wait a minute. What about the time when when Konishiki was was on his run and he couldn't? There were four Yokozuna above him as an Ozeki. Right. There were four Yokozuna above him. Oh, that was the Chiyono Fuji era. Yes, Konishiki was. He came up. He was. He was really prominent during the Chiyono Fuji era. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's how it was. So, so. then, then you had Akebono come in, who um, abated the fears of uh, a foreign Yokozuna not being able to understand the the um, the responsibility, and Akebono proved that he knew exactly what responsibility he had when he became a Yokozuna. And then you had the Takanohana era. And then, yeah, and then you had the golden, you had the golden age. So, yeah, well, so we'll see. I mean, when we, when we, uh, when we have our episode next week, we'll have to see what happens, you know, after a week, you know, how is everyone doing? So we'll see how the Yusho race looks. Uh, come next week. So, all right, Matthew. Well, with that being said, um, where can our viewers find us on social media? Well, let's see. We uh, for the video, we have YouTube and Rumble. We have not activated the Odyssey yet, but that is in the works. For audio, we have Acast, Apple, Spotify, and Google. And then, of course, we have a Twitter now. So. We yes. are we are working on that. So the Twitter is at the Samurai Bros. So make sure that you go and give us a follow on there at the Samurai Bros. And uh, we're hoping that we can use that um, to reach out to, you know, some up and coming people. Uh, you know, maybe some people who have wrestled before or fought in MMA. And, you know, we're hoping that um, as we continue to grow this uh, podcast that we can, you know, connect with people in the community and have them come on and share their experiences with, you know, the work that they've done. You know, hey, we'd even like to get some coaches on here and stuff. So, again, you know, anyone that would be interested. And um, and uh, so also a call out to uh, Servite High School and uh, to uh, Coach Alan Clinton. Uh, you know, hey, we'd, we'd love to have uh, to have you on uh, just to see, uh, have a discussion with you about having built up the, the Servite program and stuff. And uh, there's a couple of people I'd also like to reach out to. So, uh, you know, uh, a lot of things coming up, definitely. So, uh, and you can also find Matthew. Uh, he is on, uh, he's got his personal Twitter. Make sure to give him a follow at Matthew Salzer. And then uh, personal also, YouTube, Matthew Salzer. 
And then uh, also uh, Matthew runs uh, his MMA website called MMA Freak, MMA-Freak.com. And uh, the Twitter for MMA Freak is uh, at MMA Freakout. So uh, also, again, Matthew, thank you for all your insight into the various things of the day uh, with MMA, with sumo, wrestling. And uh, again, we also like to talk about things, you know, with Japanese culture and stuff. So we're hoping to, you know, continue to be doing that. So, uh so we wish uh, all our viewers the best and uh, hope you have a great rest of your week and we will talk to you soon.